Matthew chapter 14 is where we're going to find our main text this morning. We're going to look at what may be one of the most familiar uh, stories in the Bible this morning in an effort maybe to discuss one of the most uncomfortable topics that we could discuss. And it's uncomfortable because it may do what some people say, you really stepped on my toes this morning. I promise you this morning, I'm not aiming for your feet, okay? I hope that the message this morning is aiming right here to your heart. But it might get uncomfortable because it may make us stop and think about where we're at and where we really need to be. Our topic this morning is, we'll just sum it up in one word, moving. Moving. That's a scary word. I don't like to move. I absolutely despise to move as far as talking about moving from one house to another. And this morning, nobody's making any announcements about moving. We'll just tell you that right up front. Don't think that we're talking about any of that kind of stuff, but I just don't like moving. You know, I didn't like moving when I moved out of my college dorm room back home for the summer back in those days. Because it seemed like, you know, there's not much space, there's not many places to hide things in a college dorm room. But the amount of junk you can accumulate over the course of 16 to 18 weeks is absolutely amazing. I just don't like moving. Now, I don't mind going and helping move somebody else's stuff. You know, not long ago, I had the opportunity to help, help Brother Eric and some others load up Amy, his sister, and we you know, loaded up the moving truck for them. It was so, it was such a refreshing experience because everything was already boxed. Everything was already so neatly packaged, and all we had to do was move it from one point to another. You know, helping other people move is a lot, a lot of times a lot easier than moving your own stuff because you've got to box it up. You've got to decide what goes where. And, you know, there's things to learn when you move. You've got to learn where to pay your utility deposits. You've got to learn where the light switch is in the house, you know. What drawer did we put the silverware in? You open every drawer. When we moved in the house we're in now, you know, I think we, I still think we may have put the silverware in the wrong place because there's this particular drawer I still open up nearly three years later looking for a fork. <laughs> and one of these days I may just move it and see how long it takes Mary to realize that I moved this stuff around, right? I mean, we can have fun with this. But the unknowns associated with the move are often manifested as fear. It's often manifested as fear. But somehow when the opportunity comes along, maybe an opportunity comes along for us to move to a bigger and, and better house, the house, the house of our dreams. Maybe an opportunity comes up for us to, to chase an unknown or a bigger, more exciting experience in our careers. That excitement that results in fear is often overshadowed by the excitement of the new opportunities that come up because we've moved. Maybe you're that way too, but you know it's not just moving physically that scares us. You know, there's a lot of fear in moving spiritually. There's a lot of fear in taking a step into an unknown physically. I never forget the looks I see on some of your faces on the first night of Awana, especially if you're a new Awana worker. And there's all those kids back there, just it's absolutely mass chaos, especially the first night. You know, Brother Eric calls it a tornado with tennis shoes, and that's really what it is. And some of these people, just they are, they are scared to death walking into that for the first time. But you know, they're scared because they're taking a move. They're taking a step 
really they're taking a step in their spiritual life to step out and to work in a new ministry, a new opportunity. Moving is scary, whether we're moving physically or moving spiritually. But here's the thing. So many of us, at so many points in our lives, find ourselves absolutely stuck in a rut spiritually. Do you know what a rut is? You know what a rut is. Just the other day, the light company rutted up my yard doing, doing some work on some utility poles, and I'm going to call them. They're not going to do anything about it, but I'm going to call them, tell them they need to do something about it. But a rut is a, is a shallow grave with both ends knocked out. That's all in the world a rut is. A rut is a grave with both ends knocked out. How many times do we find ourselves stuck in a rut spiritually? No matter where we're at, you know, hey, I come to church on Sundays. I even go to Sunday school. But you know what? Spiritually, I'm just laying in a shallow grave. And I'm not moving in my walk with Jesus. So as we're growing our relationship with Jesus, we've got to be constantly willing to move from the comforts of where we are, from the comforts of where we find ourselves, into the unknown of the exciting place that is to come. And that's what we see happening in the story we're going to look at in Matthew chapter 14 this morning. As we look at the scripture, my prayer is that we examine ourselves and we look and we determine whether we, like the disciples in this story, are spiritually stuck in a rut. Or are we actively seeking to move forward in our relationship with Jesus? As we look, we're going to be starting in verse 22. And, and if you look back just a little bit, you see what's just happened. Jesus has just fed the 5,000. What an amazing, amazing story that is. Jesus has fed the 5,000. And we pick up our scripture in verse 22 of Matthew chapter 14. And immediately, immediately after feeding the 5,000, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they had got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to be here in your house this morning. I thank you that we are enjoying ourselves this morning as we worship you. I pray that you would speak to us through your scriptures this morning. I pray that you would speak to us through your word. Show us, Father, open our eyes to the fact that some of us are stuck in a rut. 
open our eyes to the fact that no matter where we are in our spiritual walk, we need to keep moving and show us what you'd have us to do this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you've been in church much at all, you know the story. You probably could have told me the story without us reading it there out of Matthew chapter 14. As a matter of fact, most of us have seen the flannel graph version of this story. And some of the little kids are saying, what is that? We still use it. I'm thinking, they use it in children's church back here, the flannel graph. Use it in Awana. Flannel graph is still highly effective in a digital world. Did you know that? Flannel graph is a great thing. But we see, we've heard this story. We've seen it played out. It's, ama- it's an absolutely amazing story. Following the feeding of the 5,000, you know, where, where Jesus uh, just used five loaves and two fish, and they picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. I think the 12 baskets of leftovers may be just as big of a miracle as the fact that he fed so many with so little. We had fish back here the other night for the men's dinner. You know, there wasn't one piece of fish left. Wasn't one, wasn't one little piece of fish left. We ate it all. I think the leftovers were a miracle to have 5,000 men and no leftover fish. But let me just go ahead and tell you that the experience of Jesus walking on the water to the boat caused the disciples to move in their faith. It caused them to move closer to Jesus. And we're going to look at the steps they took to get there. But first, we've got to go to the end of the story. We're going to work this scripture backwards a little bit because we've got to go to the end of the story to find out what their true spiritual condition was and what it became so that we can really get the steps to go there. The first thing I want us to see as we look at the end of the story is that it doesn't matter who you are or where you're at. Your relationship with Jesus, my relationship with Jesus, can grow stale. Let me tell you, stale is not good. What do you do with the stale bread at home or the stale crackers? You throw them out, right? They're not any good. Stale is not good. And the disciples, I mean, these men who walked with literally, when we say, you know, I'm walking with Jesus spiritually, they physically, literally walked with Jesus, ate with Jesus, sat with Jesus as he taught them. And you think, I mean, I just think about if I'm setting Physically, with Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, sitting there teaching me, how can my faith grow stale? Well, there's did. And you say, well, how do you know that? It doesn't say that here. Well, you know, Matthew's not the only one who wrote about this particular account. He's the only one who talks about Peter getting out and walking on the water. But, you know, Mark and John also wrote about this account. And I want you to turn over, hold your place here, turn over to Mark chapter 6. We're going to read the end of the story from Mark chapter 6 because Mark gives us a couple more details about the spiritual condition of these 12 disciples, these 12 men who walked with Jesus every day. In Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 51, he writes, Then he, Jesus, went up into the boat, to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. See, that's where they ended up. They ended up greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure, and they marveled at Jesus. 
This is, what, this is where they were before, verse 52. They had not understood about the loaves because their hearts were hardened. Here Jesus is sitting on the side. I mean, they've got 5,000 men, and we think they're, they're probably their wives and children, so a lot more than 5,000 people sitting on the side of a hill. Jesus takes five loaves and two fish and feeds them all and picks up leftovers, and the disciples didn't think that was very exciting. They saw Jesus do a great miracle, and they didn't think that was very exciting because their hearts had become hardened to who he was, who he is, and what their relationship with him was to be. I love the Amplified Bible's reading of that passage of Scripture from Mark. You know, English is probably one of the worst languages in the world because we, where most languages, they have... Um, you know, different meanings have different words. You know, we might have one word that means a bunch of different things. So the Amplified Bible puts some more words in there to help us really understand what the original Greek meant. Let me tell you what that passage of Mark from Mark chapter 6 reads in the Amplified Bible. It says, They had not understood about the loaves, how it revealed the power and the deity of Jesus. But in fact, their heart was hardened, being oblivious and indifferent to his amazing works. They were oblivious and indifferent to the fact that Jesus had just done this great miracle in front of them. Okay, hello, Jesus Christ is right in front of you doing miracles, and you're too oblivious to what's going on to notice it. They didn't understand how it revealed the power and the deity of Jesus because their hearts were hardened. How many times does God do something absolutely amazing in our lives or absolutely amazing in the life of someone else that we're close to or we see it and we're too oblivious to it because we're too caught up in ourselves to notice what Jesus is doing around us? I think that's what was going on with the disciples They'd become too comfortable in their walk with Jesus. Do you know who I am? I'm one of the 12. Yeah. Now you say, hey, I go to Sunday school every Sunday. I don't have to read this during the week to go closer in my relationship with Jesus. Tim does a great job teaching the lesson every Sunday. That's all I need to know. No. We get too caught up in things and think, oh, I'm comfortable where I'm at. You know, you're only moving one of two ways in, our, in your walk with Jesus. You're moving towards him or you're moving away from him. You're moving with him or you're moving against him. The disciples had become too comfortable in their walk to the point that they started moving the other direction when they were literally living alongside Jesus. And it took Jesus walking to them on the water and commanding Peter to walk out on the water for their eyes to even be opened at what was going on around them. You know, Paul addresses this a little bit over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I mean, they walked with Jesus physically. Paul didn't. Paul, the people Paul was talking to didn't. We today didn't. And so he reminds us over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we often hear this at a funeral. So we are always confident, knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. So why are we confident? Because he says in the next verse, we walk by faith and not by sight. 
We walk by faith and not by sight. And maybe you're saying, well, if I could just walk by sight, it would be so much easier to follow Jesus if I could just see what he was going to do. If I could just see what he was, if I could just see what was down the road, it would be so much easier in my walk with Jesus. Well, guess what? The disciples walked by sight. They saw it. And their, their spiritual condition still became stale. Their heart still became hardened. If we're going to grow in our relationship with Jesus, if we're going to mature in our walk and understand things better, and if things are going to become clearer to us, see, we've got to work on our faith. We've got to work on how do we work on our faith. How do we grow our faith? Well, a lot of it's about understanding his word better and understanding the promises of his word better. And as our faith grows, we've got to make sure we don't get too comfortable. We've got to make sure we don't do like the disciples and just stop moving altogether and say, you know what? My relationship with Jesus is good enough. I know I'm going to go to heaven, you know, and I go to church on Sunday. My relationship with Jesus is good enough. Let me tell you, our relationship with Jesus is never going to be good enough until we're in heaven with him. And it's something we've got to work on every single day. If you've gotten to the point that your walk is no longer requires faith, you're stuck in a very dangerous place and have set yourself up to miss out on so many blessings of God. And that's where the disciples found themselves what a huge blessing it was for them to see the feeding of the 5,000. But they didn't understand any of it because their hearts had become so hardened. So let me ask you this question. Does the way you are living require faith? Does the way you live your life on a day-to-day basis require faith? If it doesn't, Maybe you're stuck in a rut. Maybe we need to re-examine our lives to determine how we need to move out from there. Let me tell you how it's done. Let me tell you how the disciples did it. As we look back through the rest of our story here, backing up to the very beginning of the story in verse 22. How do we get out of the rut? How do we move our relationship with Jesus forward? Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. He made them get in the boat and go to the other side. So what do we read that? What do we know happened? They got in the boat and they went to the other side. The first step to getting out of the rut, the first step to moving our relationship with Jesus forward is basic obedience. It's not complicated. It's really not complicated. It's basic obedience. And if you've got problems, well, what, you know, I don't know where to start. Well, we can always start with the big ten, right? The ten commandments, you know, honor God first, go on down the list. For, for the kids in the room and even a lot of the adults, honor your father and mother. Boy, that's a hard one, isn't it, teenagers? Some of them just looked up at me too quick. I mean, they looked up at me faster than they should have, okay? You know, I heard it said once, and I've mentioned it before, there's a lot of people say, well, 
Is this a sin or is that? The Bible really doesn't say whether or not this is really wrong. I heard it said once, and I've said it here before, there's enough do's and don'ts in this book that if we just focus on what we know God wants us to do and stay away from the things God doesn't want us to do, as we go through life, the rest of it will become clear. We don't have to worry about the little minor details if we focus on basic obedience. What's the basic obedience? Well, I believe if we go back to what Jesus said when asking what's the greatest commandment, he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. That means don't just give Jesus half of what we got. Don't just give him the leftovers. Say, well, God, my work schedule's real busy today. And if I've got time, I'll spend some time with you later. Give, give him all of it. Don't just say, oh, you don't understand, Brother Jeremy. You don't understand, Brother Eric, how busy I am. I just can't help with that ministry in the church because I've done my time. That's not giving it all to Jesus. Jesus said, love God with everything you've got. Not what's left over. And then he said the second greatest command was this, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others. Do you know that every single problem we see in the world right now could be solved if we were just basically obedient in those two things? Every single problem we see happening around us in this country and around the world would be 100% completely solved if everyone loved God with all they had and loved everybody else second. Basic obedience. Jesus told the disciples to get in the boat. And guess what? They went. We read these accounts. We don't hear that they questioned him. We don't hear that they argued with him. We don't, we don't hear that they tried to negotiate with Jesus. We read that he said, get in the boat, and they went. For some of us, basic obedience means doing what God has commanded us to do. Doing something we're not already doing. For some of us, basic obedience means there's something in our life we need to cut out. There's something we need to stop doing. The first step to getting out of the rut is basic obedience. The second step is to take a bold step of faith. A bold step of faith. As we read the story, look at how it went down. I mean, yeah, seeing Jesus walk on the water, that was exciting. What a great miracle, Jesus walking on the water, but he's Jesus. We kind of expect those types of things are possible, right? I'm not trying to make it any of a smaller deal than it was. But a lot bigger thing happens when Peter walks on the water, right? Look at verse 26, how this went down. And when the disciples saw him, Jesus, walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And so he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. You notice what the bold step of faith was? It's that Peter didn't ask Jesus for a promise. Peter didn't say, Jesus, I'm about to step over this boat. 
Will you promise to protect me? Will you promise to, to make sure I don't sink? I mean, the winds and the waves are boisterous. Peter didn't ask for a promise. Peter asked Jesus for a command. You know, that takes a bold step of faith. He said, Lord, if it's you, command that I walk to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. And Peter obeyed. That's living by faith. When we start asking God for commands, and we start responding to those commands in an affirmative way, that's living on faith. Asking God for promises doesn't really require much faith. Because when we ask God for promises, what we're saying is, God, I'll do this once I see that you've done that. And that's not faith. That's living by sight. Following a command requires faith. And we know how this story ends. Peter does step out. He does begin to walk on the water. And then he gets scared because he sees the stuff around him. And he begins to sink. You know, I believe when we take bold steps of faith and we ask God to give us commands of what he wants us to do, and when we follow those commands and we step out on that bold faith, things are very likely to get scary because we're stepping out into territory we don't know about. Things are likely to get scary around us. Our faith may even get rattled just a little bit. But just like with Peter, I believe that when we're obeying Jesus and things get scary, you know what he's going to do? He's going to reach down and he's going to pull us up and he's going to help us continue on the journey that we've taken. Hear me out on this. I think if we learn anything from this story, we learn that we're not called to be idle. We're not called to be comfortable with where we're at in our walk with Jesus. Because what happened to the disciples is when they got comfortable, as we read in Mark's account, they became oblivious to, to the miracles of Jesus that were going on around them. They were missing out on so many blessings because they got comfortable we're not called to be idle. We're called to move. We're called to never stop moving closer and closer to him. We're called to grow every single day more and more into a person that reflects Jesus Christ. Because the command that Jesus gave to us was to let our light so shine before men that others see our good works and glorify the Father in heaven. Live our lives in such a way that we shine a light that shows the world Jesus Christ. And we can never do that if we're laying down in a rut. We can never do that if we're stuck where we're just comfortable. It's important to know that if I'm going to move my relationship with Jesus Christ forward, I can't stay where I am and I can't remain who I am. I've got to be willing to change. I've got to be willing to take that step into a place that I may have never gone. So let me ask you this again. Does it require faith 
to live the way you're living? Are you stuck in a rut? I'm just telling you, no matter where you are, if you stay there, you lose. You miss out on so many blessings that God has in store for you. And that's not prosperity gospel. That's a promise from God's word. So we prepare for our invitational hymn this morning. I want to tell you, you know, it's not just us that has to move. You know, God doesn't require anything of us that he hasn't already done himself. You know, while he requires us to move, to move forward in our relationship with him, you know, salvation is only possible because of the movement of God. Apart from the movement of God, there would be no salvation. And that movement of God goes something like this. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Jesus moved so that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This morning, maybe you need to move from where you are. Maybe you've never accepted that gift of salvation. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our heart God raised him from the dead, we will be saved and we'll move off that road to hell that we all start off on and we'll move on to that road to heaven. But then we never stop moving. This morning, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, I hope you'll come. And I hope maybe even if you don't come now, you'll catch me later before you leave this morning and let me show you what God's word has to say about how you move. You move your name on to the Lamb's book of life. Maybe this morning you know you're stuck in a rut and you need to use this time of invitation where you are or in this altar to pray to God and ask him to show you how to move out. Maybe you need to ask God what that next commandment is for your life and what that next step is you need to take. Don't leave here this morning stuck in a rut. Leave here this morning determined to move ever closer to him as we stand and sing.